Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy! So, obviously we know Christmas is around the corner. If I had to ask you, if you could have anything for Christmas and you would have it, what would it be? I want you to even think about it. I want you to share it with someone near you. Share it with someone near you, even if you don't know them that well. Just think, it's like, if you could have anything for Christmas, what would it be? What would you want for Christmas? And I know there's so many different things that could come to our mind and hearts, but I know it's amazing. It's right around the corner And every single one of us, whether we might vocalize it or not, there's something that we wish we had in our life at this very moment. Today, we're going to talk about the book of James. If you're new to this church, just to let you know, every single week from the very beginning, we've been covering a different book every week. We started off in Genesis And we will finish in Revelation. And we're literally going through the entire Bible. It's so exciting. Our church, this year, we're celebrating 25 years. And we've never have done something like that where we've done a book or maybe sometimes two books or maybe even three books on one Sunday. But we have a schedule to go through everything throughout the whole year. So the book of James, just to tell you a couple quick facts about it, it's going to be behind me type of letter is a general epistle. An epistle is a fancy word for letter. So it's a general letter. letter. The reason why it's considered a general letter, it's not addressed to a specific person. It's for Christians, really Jewish Christians of the day specifically, but it's open to everyone that would uh, read it and listen to it. The chapters, there's five chapters. Date written was 62 AD, well, before 62 AD. We don't know exactly the time period it was written. It's definitely um, believed to be written before 62 AD. The reason being is because James, tradition says that James was killed in 62 AD. He was killed in 62 AD, and tradition says he was killed, he was thrown off the temple, and he was beaten with clubs. That's how he he ended up dying. But this was, of course, someone, and we'll go into it, that was completely sold out for God and to do his work. The theme of the book is spiritual maturity. James wants us to be spiritual mature. He doesn't want us to be an infant He doesn't want us to be a toddler, just a toddler. He doesn't want us to be, oh, what? ¿Qué está pasando aquí? I was like, for a second there, I thought it was like in a Star Wars or Star Trek or one of those movies. But but he doesn't want you to be an infant, a toddler. Uh, He doesn't want you to be just a teenager. He wants you to grow up and be an adult. 
be an adult spiritually, be a parent spiritual, spiritually where you have disciples and help people get to know God. Let me tell you, so many times there's Christians that literally, like, they stay as a baby. I don't care how long you've known about God. It's about growing in God. So someone could know about God for 40 years and still be a baby. So imagine if you are, imagine you know a kid that never grows up and pretty much stays the same height, talks the same way as they did as a baby. They don't learn any new vocabulary. All they say is mama and dada. That's it for like 30, 40 years. You would think that there's something seriously wrong with that kid. Like, you know, in in a sense, it's like, why isn't this kid that's fully capable, let's say, of growing, not growing, okay? So in the same way, spiritually speaking, we are called to grow. We're called to grow spiritually, but so many times we stay as a baby, as a toddler, as, you know, as, as a teenager, we don't grow up spiritually speaking, and God wants us to. So the whole theme of the book of James is spiritual maturity. The author is Jesus' brother, James. Some of us might have not realized that James was Jesus' brother. Now, many of us might not have known this, but Jesus had how many brothers altogether? If you had a guess, if you had a guess, how many brothers Jesus had that we know of? He had four brothers that we know of, and James is one of them. How many sisters he had? The Bible doesn't say a specific number, but it does acknowledge that he had sisters. And we're going to see it for ourselves. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says this, speaking about Jesus. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James? Joseph, Judas, Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So right there in in this Bible verse, it acknowledges four brothers, and it acknowledges that he had sisters, but we don't know how many sisters he had. I already told you the main theme is spiritual maturity, and the key verse is James chapter 1 Verse 22, it says this. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So, right there, it says, It's like, you know what? James is pretty much saying, It's not good enough for you just to come to church. He says, It's not good enough for you to read the Bible every day. It's not good enough for you just to memorize the Bible and quote Bible verses. He's pretty much saying, Hey, you got to know the Bible, and you better do it. It's like you can't, there, there's no disconnect, a disconnect there. It says, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. And I like that part too, because so many times we might deceive ourselves just because we go to church, just because we own a Bible, we might own a couple Bibles. We deceive ourselves that we have a relationship with God or we're close to God. But here James James is saying, do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So the proof is in the, 
Jose's hungry. He was so quick to say that. He's like, yo quiero some pudding. So he's like, the, the proof is in the pudding. So the proof of you being a child of God walking in his ways is the fruit of your life, is doing what the word says. And that's what James is pretty much highlighting here. Now, I'm going to break down a little bit the, um, the book, but before I even tell you the next uh, part, I just want you to know the book of James is really interesting because it's known as the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. Okay, so many times we, we love reading Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. This is the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. So always remember that. Whenever you look at the book of Proverbs and you're reading all the Proverbs, just think of the book of James as the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. I know we were talking about food before, about Thanksgiving, and I know we were talking uh, also about pudding because Jose is hungry. So now for this image here, as we highlight the book of Proverbs, I'm going to highlight how it's pretty much broken down like a wisdom sandwich, okay? So Jose, you're able to eat it here. So I just want you to picture this here. The book of Proverbs has a greeting on top, then it has five lessons of wisdom, five lessons of wisdom. Then it has a short middle message there. Then afterwards, it has five more lessons of wisdom, and then it has a closing. So just picture it like a delicious sandwich. Some of you are probably hungry right now. I know some of you were like, you wish that was pernil, but it's not pernil. But, but some of you are hungry right now. But I just want you to think of the book of Proverbs. It's sandwiched that way. Okay? You have the greeting. You have five lessons on wisdom. Then you have a middle section. And then five more lessons of wisdom. And then you have the closing there as well. Something that's interesting is that every single lesson of wisdom. And how many lessons of wisdom are, is there in the book of James? Ten. Remember, five, short message, and then five. It's ten altogether, book of James. Every single one of them has an illustration that James adds to it to really bring home the point. And that's what I love about James. J- James not only tells you the truth, he adds a picture to it. He has an illustration to it to bring it home. Just to give you an example, one of the things he talks about is the power of our words. We know words are powerful. Right now, this moment, if I would ask you, think of something that was said to you when you were younger that was hurtful. Could you think about that and remember that? How many of you can? Raise your hand. Words are powerful. Uh, how, how many of you could remember something that was said to you when you were younger that, was, that built you up, that brought you life? Raise your hand. So all of us could know and attest that words are powerful. And James, that's one of the things he highlights. He pretty much talks that words and our tongue is like a bit that controls horses. It's like rudders that controls the ship. It's, it's like it's able to spark a forest leveling fire if you allow it. So we, we know it has a lot of power. You could control a horse like your tongue in the same way, like a bit in a horse, you're able to control it. And it's powerful in the same way, like a rudder on a ship 
you're able to steer a huge ship with just the rudder. And then in addition, it says that you could start a fire with the words that you say with your tongue. In James chapter 3, verse 6, just to give you an example, it says this, the tongue also is a fire. So this is just his example now highlighting the fire. It says, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it and is itself set on fire by hell. So pretty much is highlighting, hey, you got to be careful with the words that you say. It, it's, it's amazing. Like uh, even the other day, I, I heard someone say this. They, someone, someone said, it's like Satan doesn't curse you. Satan tries to get you to curse yourself. So pretty much Satan tries to put thoughts in your mind that you start to believe and start declaring over your life and speaking over your life. And all of a sudden, it's like because of your own words, you're pretty much impacting yourself spiritually, spiritually. So every single one of us, we have to even think, if we have to evaluate how we speak, the words that we say, do we speak words of encouragement, of life, to build people up? Or are we always criticizing, tearing people down, being negative, or having sly remark, or being sarcastic? Our own words are, could cause destruction if we're not careful. Obviously, we can't go into detail, but I just want to give you an idea of what these lessons of wisdom are. Remember, I said it's a greeting and then five lessons of wisdom. He talks about, James talks about wisdom and trials. If any of us are going through any trial in our life, he talks about that. He talks about wisdom in religion. He talks about wish, wisdom and partiality. He talks about wisdom and works. He talks about wisdom and the tongue, which we just highlighted. And then there's a middle section, a middle section where he specifically says something. And we're not going to read it now. It's James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. But the main thing I want to highlight is that in this middle section, he pretty much takes a pause and says, hey, guys. I just want every single one of you to realize that there's two kinds of wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. He says, there's the wisdom that comes from heaven. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then James says, then there's another wisdom. There's another wisdom that's from the world. It's earthly worldly, unspiritually, and the verse actually says demonic. So here James is pretty much saying, hey, like I could almost picture him as he's being led by the Holy Spirit to write this. He, he wrote the first five lessons and he's like, wait a second, I got to pause and I got to let all my readers realize there's two types of wisdom out there. There's the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom from heaven. And it's your choice on which one you're going to listen to. And it's amazing how because of life and because of the way that we've disciplined ourselves, we rather listen to the wisdom of the world 
before listening to the wisdom of heaven. I just have a question. Whenever you have a big decision in your life or whenever there's something happening in your life, do you turn to heaven to consult heaven, to consult God on what to do? Or do you consult the world? You consult people that don't know God or don't live their lives based on the Bible. Do you consult your neighbor who's like literally just someone that you bump into every day and all of a sudden you're going to ask them for wisdom on what they think about the matter because you think they know everything because whenever something's happening in the neighborhood, they're looking through the blinds. you are like, oye, mira lo que está pasando por allá. Like, you know, they just know a lot. And all of a sudden you think it's like all of a sudden they're a good person to ask for wisdom. I don't know about you, but if you turn for wisdom to people that don't love and fear God, I just want you to realize that there's a good possibility that that wisdom, the root source, is just worldly from this world. And honestly, there is the possibility of being demonic. I'm not saying that there's nothing to learn from people that don't know God. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a child of God, our first and our main source that we need to turn to is God. The five next lessons that wisdom brings is this. Wisdom and worldliness, wisdom and planning, wisdom and wealth, wisdom and suffering, wisdom, and prayer. So it was those five, and then those last five, and then the closing. I know I mentioned it quickly, but that's something that you could read and you could re-listen to if you want to. The book of James is only five chapters, so definitely you could read it today. It's, it's an easy read, but I want, I want you to look for those 10, 10 lessons of wisdom that you would find there. Now, James is an amazing book, and there's so many different angles I could have taken on this, but when I was praying about it and also thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas being around the corner, this one verse really jumped up on me. Like, in reading, it jumped up and popped in my, like, in my eyes, like, caught my attention was James chapter 1, verses 17. It says this. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, I love the fact here, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. The greatest gift that we've received is Jesus. The greatest gift is God. Without question, without God, we're nothing. And that's the greatest gift that we could have. And many of us, we, we might have known about God, but we never gave God our heart. We might have heard about him or even talked about him, but we never got in a place in our life where we realized it's like, you know what? I need to open my heart and receive the greatest gift that was given to me. And that's a decision that every single one of us have to make. And I remember clear as day the day I did it. And I know that you, if you've done it, you could remember the day you decided to open your heart to God. 
So here's something that's interesting too. It says every good and perfect gift. The word good there, the original meaning, it means pure, holy, with right motives of heart. And I love that because it shows too that God gives things out of right motives. We've all known people that give things out of bad motives. And all of us at one point or another in our life, we might have given something with selfish motives as well. Maybe we gave something, we're like, oh man, I'm hoping to get something back or whatever it is. But here it highlights how God gives, God gives out of pure and good heart because God loves us. He's a good, good father. And he loves every single one of us. And also the word perfect means they're complete, lacking in nothing. Complete, lacking in nothing. So God gives us a gift that's complete, lacking in nothing. Like, I don't know about you, but so many times when I was little, I would get gifts and it was a toy, but it lacked the batteries. So I was mad, sad. They forgot to add the batteries. So all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, like how am I going to play with this toy? You know, like I have to wait until my dad would go and buy the batteries. It would lack something. Here, the meaning of this every good and perfect gift, it lacks nothing. It's complete. It's exactly what God wanted to give you. And it's a gift from God and wanted to give all of us. Something else I want to highlight that's really cool is how it says it's, it's the father of heavenly lights. Pretty much highlighting there's no darkness at all when it comes to God. There's no darkness. There's no darkness at all when it comes to God. And then it also says who does not change like shifting shadows. We know that there's so many people, and even in our lives, maybe moments where we've changed. God doesn't change. He's consistent always the way that he is. And that's why like he could be trusted and we could confide in him and we could anchor our lives in him. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, oh no, Ephesians um, chapter 1, verse 3, I'm sorry. It says this, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So here we realize that in Christ, if we have a relationship with God, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I love the fact that it says every, like it doesn't say, hey, God just blessed you with a couple spiritual blessings, maybe just like two for you, five for you, or seven, every spiritual blessing. And spiritual blessings are worth more than physical blessings because no matter what we might have in our lives physically, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Whether it's your apartment, your house, your car. Like, think about the first car that you ever had. Do you still have that car? That car is probably in the junkyard somewhere. Like, you know, it's like, I remember my first car that I drove was a 1971 Dodge Swinger. All right, 1971 Dodge Swinger. Some of you guys don't even know what that is, but that was the car my dad had. So he, when I was starting to drive, he gave me the car to start to drive. It just had two major problems with it. You had to guess when it had gas and the brakes didn't work. I'm not even joking. 
There was one time period I almost crashed into a toll booth because I couldn't break the car. And my dad was screaming at me. It's like, use the emergency brake. I'm like, ah. I was like, we're not supposed to be using the emergency. The regular brakes are supposed to work. You know, it's like all of a sudden I'm like this. I literally almost crashed into exit 13A, okay, in one of the toll booths because of that. And I'll never forget there was one time I was like 20 years old. The car broke down on North Avenue. Well, well, it didn't break down. Ran out of gas because I uh, I didn't have gas, and I had to push it up a little hill to get off the traffic. And because it was a 1971 Dodge Swinger, which was a huge car, I almost fell backwards with the car into North Avenue. So it's a miracle you have this pastor here standing before you. But um, being saying that, just to get to the point. That 1971 Swinger is no longer alive anymore. That thing is dead, okay? It's no, nowhere to be found. Material things don't last. Your clothes don't last. Buildings don't last. Like, little by little, there's so many things that we see with our eyes that we get caught up with thinking that it's worth so much it doesn't last. But spiritual things last. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the blessings The reality is the list could go on and on and on when it comes to spiritual um, blessings, but I'm going to even highlight a couple of them. And as I say them, you could say amen if they touch your soul that you know you're blessed spiritually with this. All right, ready? Eternal life, forgiveness of sin, the grace of God, the love of God, deliverance from darkness, the Holy Spirit, relationship with God, access to God in prayer, spiritual power and strength, joy, hope, peace with God, God's wisdom, the kingdom of God, protection from Satan, ability to overcome sin, rewards in heaven, God's word, spiritual gifts, and good works that God has prepared for us ahead of time, giving us purpose. Those were 20 that I mentioned real quick. None of those were material things. But think about it. Even highlighting one of them, God's word, or forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's priceless priceless. And the greatest, uh, of course, we know Jesus paid the price, the ultimate price on the cross. He paid the ultimate price on the cross. But let me tell you something. But despite of everything that God has given us, for most Christians, Jesus is not enough. For most Christians, Jesus is not enough. I'm going to show you right here a picture of two crosses behind me. Which is your cross? And actually, I'm going to ask if if it's possible, if we can light up the cross here on the side, if it's possible as well, is which is your cross? I remember last week while I was pretty pretty much just praying and thinking about this topic, and the book of James, and just overall, like, what God has done, God impressed in my life that a lot of Christians see what Jesus did as not enough 
They see it as almost being a plus sign more so than a cross, the all-sufficient sacrifice, an all-sufficient gift that completes you and pretty much gives you everything that you need. They see the cross as thankful for what he's done, but almost like a plus sign because you need something else to be added. And every single person here, you need to look at your life and think of which is your cross. The way that you see Jesus in your life is the cross, the price, the ultimate price that Jesus paid. Is it pretty much, does it complete you? Is it the perfect gift? Is it your all in all? Because you have Jesus, you have everything. And you don't need something else to complete you because God completes you. And when you have God, you have everything because he fills your heart, your life, your mind, your soul. And you know that there's nothing this world could offer to you that's better than God. There's nothing that you could chase after you that's going to fill you like God. But so many times in our life, we want to have Jesus, but we're, for most Christians, it's not sufficient. It's almost like Jesus plus something else. You see, for all of us, we need to realize that Jesus is the one that we need to completely depend on. But many of us see that plus sign. It's like if I had Jesus plus money, things would be so much better. And I want you to think of, I mean, there's so many different things. Jesus plus money, Jesus plus a job. If I had a job, things would be a hundred times better. Jesus plus career, Jesus plus a boyfriend, Jesus plus a girlfriend, Jesus plus being married, Jesus plus having friends or a relationship, Jesus plus titles, Jesus plus positions, Jesus plus savings, Jesus plus a house, Jesus plus kids, Jesus plus education, Jesus plus degrees, Jesus plus a car. The list could go on and on, and here there's going to be an image right now behind you. If you had to fill in the blank, if I had blank, my life would be complete. What would you put in that blank? But think about it. If you're honest with yourself, you might put something else because you might look at God as the plus sign. You have Jesus but you still need to add something else for your life to be complete. There's a void within you that you're choosing not to fill with God, but you're choosing to fill with something else. What is it? What what would you put in that blank if you're honest with yourself? Because let me tell you something. Everything I just finished saying, it's they're not bad things, of course. Like, Money is not a bad thing. The love of money is a bad thing. It's the root of all evil. Like the reality, of course, having a boyfriend, girlfriend, the whole list that I mentioned, none of those things are bad in itself. But if you're pursuing those things above God and putting those things above God and God is not your all in all and all those things are pretty much just like the cherry on top, like the extra blessings, You're sinning. I'm sinning if I'm chasing after anything above God. 
So I'll give you an example. If all your life, all you do is work because you just want more money, but you don't have five minutes to dedicate to God every single day at least to pray and to have a relationship with him, you're putting money before God. If all of a sudden you know that your action, like you're, you listen more to your boyfriend or your girlfriend more to God's word, you're sinning before God. If you're chasing after your career and your titles and your position or whatever you're chasing after, if you're chasing after that with more passion, more heart, more drive, more discipline, more dedication than chasing after God, you're sinning. Because there's nothing that could come before God. Anything that we put before God becomes an idol. And what ends up happening, you start worshiping. Worship is what you decide to devote your adoration to. Okay? The only person that's worth our worship is God. So the moment we devote our entire... eyes or focus or time or dedication to anything else above God, we've created idols in our life. And now when I say idols, obviously they're not statues that we have in our house, but let me tell you something. They're spiritually in our house or in our lives, these statues that we bow down to. We bow down to and we put it before God. And honestly, today it's like, more than ever, we need to decide to tear down anything that we might be worshiping before God. Anything. God comes above everything. God comes before family. God comes before every relationship. God comes before uh, our ministry. God comes before our work, our career. God comes before every aspect of our life. God is number one, and we need to have that relationship with him. And this is the thing, what's amazing is that God wants us to be content in him. God wants, he's the good and perfect gift that satisfies and quenches our heart's desire. He wants to fill our lives like ever before so that we could be content, we could be satisfied, we could be at peace, we could walk through this life knowing that we have a relationship with the person that owns it all, has it all, has every title, has all the power, has all the fame, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You walk through this life having that relationship with him despite of your circumstances at this moment. Because your circumstances at this moment, no matter how bad they are, they don't define you. They don't define who you are. They don't define what God's able to do. That doesn't define what God is doing that we might not be noticing in our lives. Literally, our circumstances around us might be challenging at times. But the, the truth is that we need to keep our eyes fixed on God because he doesn't change. And we know he's good, he's there for us, and he's always willing to help us. Now, something I want to highlight when it comes to being content, because that's something that God wants us to be, is to be content. There's three thieves of contentment. The first thief is comparison. It's comparison. Literally, is, it's a thief. 
It's like the moment you start to compare with other things, it steals your contentment and being at peace with what God has given you. All of a sudden you go to someone else's apartment and you're like, oh, they have, they have like two more feet more than our apartment or they have that extra little back room that I don't have. And all of a sudden we don't realize like the blessing that's before us, but we're not content. And we're not at peace because we're comparing or we're comparing cars. All of a sudden, someone else pulls up. They have the same car that you have, but they have the newer version. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, I wish I had that one. You have an amazing car that God's blessed you with. But yet, all of a sudden, the thief of um, comparing steals that joy out of your heart. Steals that joy out of your life because all of a sudden you start to compare yourself with someone else. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your belongings. Maybe it's your position. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your title. Maybe it's other people's relationships. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy too because sometimes I feel like some people should disconnect themselves from social media. Because in social media, what ends up happening, social media... It's literally, 98% of the people that post on social media post the beautiful side of everything that's happening in their life. Beautiful side. It's rare. I mean, you see it once in a while when someone posts like something that you know it's not beautiful. But most of it, it's like the picture perfect life. A lot of times you see in social media. So a lot of times I talk to people and I know that while they're looking at social media, it depresses them, it saddens them, it steals their joy and peace because they start to compare themselves with hundreds of people at a glance going like this. It's like, look at all these people having so much fun and I'm stuck at home doing nothing. Like, you know, like all of a sudden you're comparing your life with everyone. And I think everybody could relate that when you compare, you don't value, appreciate what, what's before you, what's before you. So comparison is a big thing. Another thief is competition. I know people that just want to be the best or have the best or like the moment someone gets something, they want to get something better just because they feel like they're in a competition with their neighbors or whatever it is. It's like, oh, my neighbor ended up getting this. I got to get it too. All of a sudden, it becomes a competition, and that also steals pretty much joy. And the third thief of contentment is coveting. Coveting. Coveting means to lust. And so many times when you hear the word lust, You think of sexual lust, which obviously it does address that as well. But lust is anything that you have pretty much a passionate desire after. So you could lust after money. You could lust after material things. You could lust after your career. You could lust after people, of course. So it's having a strong desire, crave, wanting, or wishing. In the 10th commandment, In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox, 
or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the last I checked, when I looked through the window of my neighbors, none of them had donkeys or slaves, none of them. But so pretty much here, obviously we're not going to go into all that. Here, it might not apply to us. But there's other things our neighbor has that you might covet after. And our neighbor is really anyone that's in our lives. So when you think about it, God doesn't want you to covet. And this was a problem even back then, of course, because sin is sin. So here it's like, do you find yourself wanting what other people have? Do you find yourself never satisfied or content or knowing that Jesus is enough? Like I know today we sang the song Jehovah Jireh, which I love so much. The word Jireh means God will provide. And it's one of those things that you chase after God, you, but you, don't, you chase after the giver, you don't chase after the gift. So many times we chase after the gift instead of the giver. We have to run after God. And honestly, when you run after God, you don't worry about the little things because God will take care of you. How did you make it to the point that you're even here today? Like God's been with you even if we've turned our backs on him, even if we're not walking after him. God is always there and he's always providing. And in that song, it says, Jehovah Jireh, it says, you are Jireh. And we sang it today. It says, you are enough. You're enough. I don't need Jesus plus something else to feel completely satisfied. No, no, no. Jesus alone completely satisfies me. And obviously he blesses me in different ways as well. But Jesus is enough. If they want to strip me away from everything that I have in my life, whether it's people or things or belonging or whatever it is, they could strip me away of everything. But Jesus is what every single one of us should crave above everything in our lives. In that song, it says, you are enough, you are enough. And the song, we, we sang this. And I will be content in every circumstance. No matter what's happening, I will be content. You are Jaira. You are enough, forever enough, always enough, more than enough, forever enough, always enough, and forever enough. So God is enough. If I had to ask you, if I had to ask you how long you could hold your breath underwater, how long would you say? How many of you could hold it for 30 seconds? Raise your hand. All right. How many, well, let me just start. How many of you can't hold your breath at all underwater? You're scared of water. You're like, yo, no, no time for this. Carlos, don't even include me in this illustration. No time for this. All right. A couple of you guys. I, let me tell you, a couple of times, we, 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 obviously, we do baptisms here at church. Sometimes we've had a couple of baptisms that, uh, you know, they didn't want to go under. I was like, yo, it's only like two inches. You're not going to drown. I'm going to pick you up. They're like, no. <laughs> they were terrified of the water. But uh, all right. So we got that clear. How many of you? 30 seconds. You're good. Underwater. 
How many of you one minute underwater? All right. How many of you a minute and a half underwater? How many of you two minutes underwater? Oh, yo, Ed Schwartz. Yo, Ed Schwartz. You're a little shark. All right. How many two and a half minutes? Three minutes underwater. Anyone? I remember when I was little, when we used to go to the ocean, my dad used to go under and he used to disappear. Like, it's, honestly, it seemed like it was like 30 minutes, but it was probably just like a minute. We're like, yo, where is he? Where is he? And then he pops up in a random place, like 50 feet away from where we're at. Like, it's pretty crazy. I know like a couple times, Jen and I, uh, we've been underwater, but obviously we've had assistance. We've scuba dive a couple times, and we've gone underwater like 50 feet uh, in the ocean underwater uh, with sharks in the water as well. So we, we, um, it was a little terrifying. But uh, it, uh, <laughs> I don't know how long we were there underwater, but that wasn't, I wouldn't even plan to say this, but it is kind of funny. Um, when we were underwater, the instructor, we were there, right? And the instructor had a bright idea to feed the sharks by us, right? ¿Qué estaba pensando ese hombre? So, bright idea. So, my boy, we're under, in the, we're in the ocean. Like, didn't look like Elizabeth walking through Broad Street, okay? So, we're in the ocean, underwater, about 50 feet under, and my boy starts whipping out tuna, to feed the sharks, and he had a metal mesh glove, and he was probably where that box seat is, and this is me and Jen under the water like this. We're like floating, whatever. I don't know if I was doing that, but you know, so, so I was doing that. So there, all of a sudden, I see the shark bite the instructor, and he penetrated through his metal mesh glove. So I'm seeing blood going like this up in the air. Yo, I don't know sign language, but I looked at Jen. I said, we're out. You know, we're like, like Bobino, everybody for themselves except you and me. Yo, let's get out of here, yo. Yo, I looked at Jen. Yo, yo we just went up. Yo, I never, when you go scuba diving, there's like a little button you press to inflate and shoot you up. Yo, I was ready to press any button that was on my suit. Yo, I was ready to shoot up to the moon. I was like, yo, Jen, let's get out of here. And I looked at Jen. Jen looked at me. He's like, yo, let's get out. So we went up. And then when we went up, we jumped in the boat. And thank God he was okay. He had to get stitches. But, yo, I wasn't going to be playing with those sharks. There were about, like, 20 sharks. So, okay. There, that wasn't where I, go, I was going, but, you know, my mind. My mind is a little crazy. So, going back, going on the water, if m- many of you don't, um, I, I mentioned 50 feet. There is a sport that pretty much uh, is, is called free diving. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of that sport, free diving. In free diving, it's a sport where you go under the water, pretty much deep into water with no scuba gear or pretty much no assistant. You're only allowed to have a rope and like a stone, a heavy stone to help you go down. And you know what's the furthest depth that they've ever gone? I mentioned Jen and I went 50 feet. If someone had to guess how deep with no equipment or anything, uh, these free diver, uh, these divers go to go fishing. 
Anyone want to guess? 200 feet? 300? The deepest that they've ever gone is 813 feet. 813 feet. Now, I mentioned, I asked you before about how long you could hold your breath. The record of the person that held their breath doing the free diving without any equipment to help them um, breathe respiratory was 11 minutes and 35 seconds. 11 minutes and 35 seconds. So it was interesting. They interviewed this person to ask them what was the secret, like how they were able to do it. And he, they, he literally said, don't panic. It's like, don't panic. Relax. Don't get worked up. And don't, don't get distracted. Stay focused. Literally, that's what he said. Don't panic. Because what ends up happening a lot of times like, obviously, the moment you start panicking when you're underwater, you start focusing on your breathing, and then all of a sudden, like, really, it throws you off, and you start getting nervous, and then you, you want to get out of the water. In the same way, obviously, we're not in an ocean right now, but we're in this world, and you might not be surrounded by sharks. You might not be surrounded by other pressures, like, here in this world, uh, when it comes to under the water, but every single one of us, we're surrounded by things that are threatening us, like sharks. We're, we're surrounded by bills. We're surrounded by problems. We're surrounded by tragedy. We're surrounded by issues. We're surrounded by drama. We're surrounded by so many different things that threaten us in our lives. And the same way, I, I could almost picture God letting us know like, how, like if, if, we had to, if we had to talk to James and ask James, what do you want us to do in those circumstances? I could picture James saying, don't panic. No matter what's happening in your life, don't panic. Don't, don't get distracted. Don't get distraught. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Just trust God. God is everything that you need, and he's there with you. As long as you're in the palm of his hand, no matter what is happening around you, the world could be falling apart. God is there with you, and he's enough. According to the world standard, they might look at you and say that you need this, you need that, you need this. Let me tell you, I listed you 20 spiritual blessings, and there's countless more in our lives. God is enough. And we, we know he's Jireh, he's the provider. So in our lives, we need to trust him. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I just want to pause right there. James pretty much says, like, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter all the trials, the problems, the issues, the drama, or the circumstances, the obstacles, the challenges you have, he literally says, consider it pure joy. This is wisdom from heaven. Like pretty much, he's saying, consider it pure joy. And I know that in our hearts, we might be like, how could we consider it pure joy? 
He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, because you need to trust God, produces perseverance. And in other translations, it says, patience, patience, let perseverance finish its course, its work, so that you may be mature and complete. I wonder, it's amazing, spiritually speaking, how little kids panic over things that adults don't. There's some things little kids panic about that adults don't because adults have more experience in life and they know it's like, look, it's all right. That's not a big deal. Think of it spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, as little infants spiritually we panic over things and we get distraught underwater or above water over things that the reality is God wants us to have peace and trust him in. And it's interesting how he says, because you know that it's the testing of your faith. Literally, when you go through difficult times, it tests your faith and God wants to produce something. He wants to produce perseverance from it. And then it says, let perseverance finish its work. There's a process where he wants to finish his work so that you could become mature and complete. So I just want to let you know, if you go through trials and you go through these obstacles and you cannot consider it pure joy, that's pretty much a red flag that literally we're still growing spiritually and we might be an infant, a toddler, or a teenager when we look at the circumstances around us and allow it, allow it to bring panic to our souls instead of allowing it to bring us closer to God. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything being content. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and and it will be given to you. I love how after he mentions that, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives generously. Pretty much saying, hey, for you to get this about looking at your circumstances around your life differently from heaven's Um, vantage point, you need wisdom from heaven. You need that wisdom from heaven. So after he says, look, consider it pure joy, let perseverance do its work, let it run its course so you could be mature. And it's almost like saying, I know some of you might not get this about wanting to consider it pure joy when you go through difficult times. Ask God for wisdom. He gives it generously so that you would be able to see these things through a different lens. So here, we have to think of, of, of it too, that no matter what the circumstance in our life is, we shouldn't allow our souls to panic. We shouldn't allow our souls to panic. Whether it's good, bad, ugly, a tragedy, or sickness, obviously, there are difficult moments in life, but our souls shouldn't panic. Like I, I read a post recently too. It was like so many people want lives without storms in their life. 
Anyone here, you want a life without hard times, right? But literally the post said that that's impossible to have a life without storms. I just want to have a life with storms, but with Jesus on my boat. As long as Jesus is on my boat, that's enough. I don't care how high the winds are, the waves are, the storms are, how deadly the sharks are in the water, or how the problems are. As long as Jesus is on my boat, it's enough. But so many people want life without storms. So many people want life without issues, without problems. But we need to realize that those very things are the things that will test your faith, test your character, test who you run to in those moments. Who do you run to for counsel? Who do you run to when there's issues? Who do you run to when you're afraid? Who do you run, run to when you're scared? Who do you run to when you're depressed? Who do you run to when you're sad? Do you run to God or do you run to so many different things in this life? Your joy is not determined by your circumstances, but by who holds your life. Your joy is not determined by your circumstances, but who holds your life. If God holds your life, that's enough to give you joy no matter what your circumstances might be. I just want to read this verse. It says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says, the Apostle Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then the Apostle Paul said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And I know uh, other verses, uh, through Christ who strengthens me. It's amazing how so many Christians quote this verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they use it out of context. They use it out of context. They feel like, just by them quoting it and declaring it in Jesus' name, they'll be able to do whatever they set out to do. If tomorrow morning I call the NBA and I'm like, yo, I want to join the New York Knicks. I want to play for you guys. And I show up to the court and I could declare in Jesus' name a billion times that I'm going to join that team. And, all, and I'm going to be like, you know, I could do all things to Christ who strengthens me as I run onto that court and I try out. You think I'm going to make that team? Some of you will be like, yo, you have little faith. You know what I mean? Like, you could probably join that team. It's like, no, I'm not going to make that team. I'm not going to make that team. I don't care how much I pray in Jesus' name. I'm not going to make that team. That verse doesn't apply for us to do whatever we want and just declare in Jesus' name, he's going to give me strength to do it. Read it in context. This verse is about choosing to live a life being content. This verse is about, hey, no matter what you go through in life, 
you could have pretty much peace. You could be content. You could have enough in your heart and life. No matter what the difficulties are, you could live in contentment because you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. God will strengthen you you in those areas that are lacking in the world's eyes. God will strengthen you in in those time periods where it seems like that you're lacking from the world standpoint or where it seems like there's problems or issues or circumstances and you don't have peace, you don't have joy, you don't have uh, pretty much what God wants you to have. He's going to give you strength to be able to have that joy and peace in every single circumstance of your life. Every single circumstance. So I don't know what you're going through right now. Some of you, right now, this moment, your life might feel like it's falling apart from every angle. Some of you, you might feel like things are going well, but you could put something in that blank. It's like, if only I had this, my life will be complete. I just want all of us to know that God has to be at the very center of our lives, above everything, and God is enough. God is enough. And if we chase after him and trust him above all, we know that he's going to be able to be Jehovah Jireh in our life, provide for us and take care of us the way that he only can. If everyone could bow their heads at this time. If you're here today and you just know that you've looked at God literally as Jesus, Jesus, the cross, as a plus sign. You've always looked for something else to fill the void that you have in your heart and life. You've always said, if only I had this. Or if only this would happen, or the next season and phase, you, you keep chasing after instead of God. I just want you to stand to your feet wherever you're at. And if you know that at this moment, you just want to declare that God is your all in all. Maybe for the very first time, you want to give God your heart. Because you know that without him, there's nothing. And you want to declare that today that God is the king of your life. You want to declare that he is your everything. You've been chasing after so many other things to fill voids in your life. But you want to chase after God like never before. I just want you to stand to your feet as well. For some of us, we need to learn through wisdom from heaven how to be content in every circumstance. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're going through, that we need to declare that God is enough. And if that's you, you could stand as well as we close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every person that's here and every person looking through the live stream as well. God, we declare that you are the king of our lives. We give you our heart, we give you our mind, we give you our soul, we give you our spirit. Forgive us for chasing after so many other things, thinking that our life will be complete if only we had this one more thing. God, you're the one that completes our life. And then you shower us with blessings. God, fill our lives to the overflowing. 
And we declare today that you are the king of our lives. And you're the only one worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be adored and glorified. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.